podcast where you talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love and we're your hosts shelby and matt oh my gosh knock at the cabin pleasure to be here (laughs) honestly honestly i was disappointed in our fan base for voting for this movie i asked them between this and going back and doing missing i should have offered up shotgun wedding like literally anything else because i really didn't think that we wanted to talk about this um, they were obviously going to pick this, and there is a lot to talk about here. Yes, like there more is. than Shotgun Wedding, as much as I love Shotgun I Wedding. But really, like this just came for me at the wrong time in my life. Like, yeah, this, one, this movie is horrifically bad in nine hundred <laughs> ways, and I will tell you why. I hate this movie so much. I hate it more than I feel like anything we've watched recently. But yeah. not only that, like I watched it. When I was already annoyed about like the Beyonce yeah, yeah, ticket tough weekend situation, like job things, like like yeah. lots of stuff was just conspiring against me. Yeah. And I was sitting in the theater like this is the most miserable movie watching <laughs> experience perhaps of my entire life. Like this movie yeah. was was delivering nothing that was interesting, nothing yeah. that was fun. Not, like even. Even if we, even God forbid, we think about that horrible movie with Melissa McCarthy and Thunder uh, Force, Octavia Spencer, Thunder Force. Like yeah. that movie was bad, but at least it wasn't like actively agonizing to watch because the plot was just like rolling around in miserable things. <laughs> like that movie was at least like, like there's lobster hands in that. Point. Yeah, yeah, where this was just like bleak. And dull and depressing from start to end. There was not one interesting thing that happened in the movie. <laughs> it ended exactly how I thought it was going to end. And it was just a slow slog through agony the entire time. Yeah. No, it's a. It, I would not recommend that a soul see this. And I don't understand how it has like even one positive review. Well, <sighs> it's interesting because we've covered old, which was last year's. Or two years ago. Which was also bad. Yeah. But was bad in like a so bad it's it good way. It was bad in a campy kind of. way. Yeah. Yes. And and like that's the thing about M. Night Shyamalan is he, 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 he tries, bless well, his heart. I mean, well, he does weird things and he, but he the like. Thing with, but the thing with M. Night Shyamalan, I feel like, is that he, for a while, I think, was like taking himself too seriously. You know, you had like the happening right. and Lady in the Water, um, which were and like After Earth, like these movies that were bad because they were so serious and there was like no levity to them. But mm. I feel like recently he sort of figured out like he's gone in a direction that's like a little bit more like lighthearted like the movie with the where the kids go the visit where the kids go stay at the Mm -hmm. grandparents house or even like um glass i think had some like kind of jokey parts to it obviously old but this 
it was back to the old standard of like not old the movie but like the yeah. standard of his earlier works where it was like there was not a laugh to be found <laughs> yeah it was i mean i did laugh at some points but they weren't intended yeah they weren't uh they weren't written in um but yeah it's kind of like interesting to watch his career and this sort of albatross around his neck as the director who does the twist because he really hasn't done a twist like arguably no, dear lord in, i was like, begging for one in this like, movie like it's like yeah this movie would have welcomed a twist honestly because what you get with this movie is exactly what you get in the trailers which is a group of four people knock at the cabin and there happens to be a gay couple and their daughter um and they hold them hostage and tell them that they have to save the world and they have one horrible choice to make and the first trailer for this the teaser you know you get the slow knock you get dave batista's monologue about it the second trailer which we saw together shows a lot more and gives you like all sorts of context and then you realize 30 minutes into the movie that oh that's that's just the entire film that's yeah it's just a i I don't know kind of think piece uh, exploring the conversations that would happen here but really nothing of interest nothing actionable happens in this movie yeah because like i feel like when i watched the teaser trailer i was intrigued because like these people are showing up at the house but you don't know what they want you don't know why they're there they're like ominous but it's like there's so many directions that that could go and i feel like maybe if i had shown up at the theater and that and i and i didn't know anything then at least the beginning part of the movie would have been slightly interesting because i would have been finding out the premise as i was watching it, where <laughs> yeah. having watched the trailer I knew what the premise was going in and so I kept waiting for it to move past the premise <laughs> into whatever the next part of the movie would be and then it never did no so like, it's just it t- to set up the plot there's the gay couple and their daughter they're in the cabin yes. the four people show up like break into the cabin uh, tie them up and say hey We're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The world is going to (laughs) end. There's these like horrible plague things that are coming. Uh, You have to make a decision to one of you has to die. One of the three of you and the other ones have to kill that person. Like Mm -hmm. you can't commit suicide. You have to do the murder. And, and so each one of these four messengers like offers them the opportunity to pick one of the three of them to kill. And if they can't do it, then that person gets murdered by the other horsemen and then the plagues begin. And yeah. so like first Rupert Grint gets killed and then there's like tsunamis that are happening. Then the like waitress girl gets killed and then there's another plague. Then the black lady dies and there's another plague. Then Dave Batista dies. There's another plague. And you're just like going through this as you watch the three or basically the two husbands, because you know, no one's going to kill the daughter. Um, <laughs> try to figure out which one of the two of them, like first determine that they are going to kill one of them and then figure out which one it is. But I feel like early on, like very early on, you know that if one of them is going to die, it's going to be, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan Groff. Mm-hmm. And so then you're just waiting for the whole movie for John for the hot one, Ben Aldridge, <laughs> to kill Jonathan Groff. And you know that that's coming. 
And so then it's just, and that's what happens. And so it's just this entire movie of watching all of these different people die and all of these different plagues as you slowly wait for Ben Aldridge to kill Jonathan Groff. And that is what happens. And it's like, there's nothing interesting. This is like how I feel about so many movies. It's just mesmerizing to watch you finally crack under pressure. Like you just hate it so much. You're just... I, I understand it. I'm just, I'm usually on the other side of it. So it's just. Well, like what movie would you, like what movie are you talking about that you were like. Oh, like I've ripped apart, like, I don't know. What was the last one where you said I was nitpicking? Like Avatar or. Wait, I but I don't think I'm all. nitpicking. Okay. Okay. But what I'm saying is that there's. I I'm mean, not like, well, he was tied up and he should have grabbed the gun and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like. I didn't movie- think I was nitpicking Avatar either. I just hated the film and I thought it was over. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The thing about this movie um, is it is based on a book, um, The Cabin yes. in the Woods. And I had read the synopsis for The Cabin in the Woods before seeing... No, The Cabin at the End of the World. The Cabin at the End of the World. The Cabin at the End of the World. <laughs> Which has a very different plot that sounds much more interesting. Yes. So basically, um, The Cabin at the End of the World similarly has a gay couple and their child, and then they're um, attacked by this group of people who say it's the is the apocalypse. And what's interesting is M. Night Shyamalan strips it of any ambiguity. Like, there's no question that the apocalypse is happening. He, you know, maybe the tsunami thing looked coincidental, but then as things happen, you literally start to witness the apocalypse with, yeah. like, planes raining down from the sky, the sky turning black, like, everything's playing out, and you're like, wow, this, this well- god or this power clearly is ready to destroy the world unless we're going to do this because there is one there is like one beat in the movie where because ben aldridge thinks that rupert grint's character is someone who's like gay bashed him earlier in his earlier in their history and you're sort of unsure if that's what's happening but then you get to a point where you realize that that is true that like these aren't four complete strangers one of them is not a stranger and so Ben Aldridge is like, maybe all of this is like these crazy people who got together on a message board and yeah, just like a group shared delusion. Yeah. And they, they knew like, cause the tsunamis had already been announced before they got there. So maybe it's like, okay, they already knew about the tsunamis. This disease was already going on. Like maybe this is all that like sort of fake. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I thought, well, that w- is a much more interesting movie. Like, if it if it makes that twist and it's like, this has all been orchestrated to, like, get back at this gay couple. Yeah. I was like, that is... And then the gay couple have to sort of, like, fight their way out of it or whatever. Then it moves into more of, like, the classic horror yeah. genre, which I like a lot more. And so I was sort of excited for that. But that doubt is but in no, your mind Jonathan for like three vision. seconds and then it's gone <laughs> and then you're like oh no it's it's just the apocalypse yeah yeah and it's also interesting because in the book while it also explores these sort of heavy-handed topics of like what do you believe what what is sacrifice what is worth it type things in the end they accidentally kill their daughter the apocalypse begins and instead of deciding to kill one of themselves to stop it there's this whole speech about how the husband is like, oh, when's death isn't a good enough sacrifice for this God. You know what? F them and F God. F them all. And they decide to walk off together and just vow to face it as one without ever stopping it if they could. And so it becomes – it's all left sort of up in the air if there is an apocalypse. 
if their daughter died for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And it's very much meant to be this like thoughtful, I don't know, kind of exploration of these issues. But since M. Night Shyamalan sort of strips it of any sort of depth and really just gives it to you face value and simplifies it into this sort of like cheesy Christian film, it feels almost like yucky to be watching this happen to this gay couple where the politics around it feels a lot more like nefarious, especially coming out in today's world of like, oh, uh, the LGBTQ community is grooming our kids. We have to like stop this before they destroy our children. And then to have this film be so heavily like you gotta, you gotta break up, you gotta kill someone so that we can save the children. It's definitely like, Ooh, like what, what was he thinking here? Like, do I think that was M. Night Shyamalan's intent? No. The way he talks about this movie is like, oh, it's, um, it's like about, it's a razor sharp thriller. It's the Sophie's choice of faith. Like I wanted to explore like what this is all about, but it's like, you can't, you can't like, I don't know. I was just like reading Twitter reactions to it and there's like a weird acceptance of it by the Christian nationalists who are like, yes. <laughs> and I don't think that's a good sign about your movie and the like discourse you're opening up. Like, I don't think you get props for being able to have a, well, what about this side of the argument when there's such high stakes already that it's just like feeding a really nasty fire? I, so, yeah, so I had a lot of thoughts on that sort of aspect of it as well. Like, watching the movie, I I feel like I wasn't as attuned to that. But then once I read what the original book yeah. was, like, that premise, and then sort of comparing it to this, yeah, you... I think the 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 book is questioning sort of, like, a what sort of god or entity or, like force that's bringing a along an apocalypse if it is this you know religious thing would enact such death upon the world yeah and and then like why would we want to go along with that god and sort of like buy into his plans anyways and it that reminded me or the movie reminded me a lot of there's a story in the old testament of Abraham and Isaac and <laughs> yeah. God tells Abraham, Oh, you have to go and sacrifice your son, Isaac, um, to prove how much you love me. And so Abraham sort of like takes his son up to this mountain. He's getting ready to kill it and like kill him. And like almost as he does, God's like, wait, stop. Actually, you don't need to do <laughs> this. Kidding. Like you, you've, you've proven yourself um, before killing him. Yeah. And I feel like growing up in the church, whenever this story was presented, it was always presented in a way that was like, wow, look at the faith that Abraham has, that he's like willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. something he loves for this God um, who is taking care of all of us. And it, and we never stopped a question of like, why would a God who supposedly loves Abraham and wants what's best for him and also supposedly loves Isaac would want to put them through this weird <laughs> game. And yeah. it's, and that's the same thing with this movie. It's like, if this God or entity or apocalypse or whatever is strong enough to, um, to, you know, bring planes from the sky and cause these plagues and whatnot. Like, why would 
he not be able to just stop that? Yeah. Um, and, and, and like, if the force of the apocalypse is like, oh, it, like, it's never presented as like, the devil is coming for right. us and we've got to like fend off the devil. It's all presented as like, oh, well, this is how it has to be. And yeah, and it's to implied watch- that it's happened before that other right. families have made this choice. And it's like, wait, like how often does God decide he wants to destroy us? (laughs) Yeah. And to sort of sit and watch, I mean, I, on one hand, appreciate like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan trying to center like a gay couple and casting gay actors and having, you know, them adopt a daughter and, and sort of like celebrating their love story in a certain way, because I think he is I think what he's trying to say here and what does come across in the in the film to a certain extent is like, you know, gay love and uh, queer families are just as real and as valid as important as any sort of other family is. But it does feel sort of icky that it's like, okay, well, it's the gay family who has to kill somebody in order for the straight families to all be fine. Mm. Um, And again, that's like half sort of addressed in like a couple of lines but not in a concrete way at all like the book which is much more interested in sort of like questioning um faith and this apocalypse not to mention that i think the book also leaves open from what i read this of like what if these people were wrong and there isn't an apocalypse going on at all which that is completely removed from the movie (laughs) it is obviously the apocalypse and when he kills him at the end everything you know writes itself rather quickly um yeah and what's weird is like the book is very concerned about faith not just in like you know christianity or religion but just faith as a concept And M. Night Shyamalan in talking about this movie was like, no, this movie isn't about a belief in a religion or God. It's about our belief in each other. Do we believe in each other anymore or do we give up? And do you believe in humanity at large? Do you believe in that goodness or do you give up on the belief system in each other? And it's like, sure, I could see that being an interesting question. But once you remove the like question mark of are these people insane or not, then that doesn't become the central question. The central question is, can these people get on with it and save the world because they're being selfish right now? And it's like, yeah, you empathize with them and think about, wow, what a terrible choice this will be. But you never question that it's the right choice. Like, like you're never having to wrestle with the idea of, huh, should they do this? Because because you're faced with like watching millions of people die and you're like, well, I mean, you know, when push comes to shove, they probably should do this. Um, and so that doesn't become the central tension of the story or the relationship anymore. It's just watching them come to terms with this inevitable conclusion. And that's like cheap storytelling, but it also cheapens any discussion around the beliefs at play here. Because if it wasn't, if it didn't want to be so content, cons- uh, connected to Christian mythology and whatever, or belief systems, they constantly bring it up where it's like, oh, um, I don't know. Every time they sacrifice one of themselves, one of them, they like say something about like the humanity has been judged. And so there's all this like Christian language around it, not to mention at the very end, Jonathan Groff spells out just in case this, <laughs> the oh symbolism gosh. was too subtle I for was you, ready to like that they are the four myself horsemen of the, out of the theater. Yes. 
There's this and then whole... he like names them, which I don't think are the technical historical names of the four horsemen where he's like it's kindness and healing and (laughs) well no the four horsemen of the apocalypse are the ones who are bringing the apocalypse rather than preventing it so they're like famine and death and plague like yeah um but yeah no at the end he has this weird monologue that's like and Jenny uh, brought sustenance because, like, yeah. one of them's a chef and one of them's a doctor, and they're, and so it's like, oh, each of them symbolizes something. And then, even more annoyingly, there's this super obnoxious shot at the end where, after everyone's been killed, and you know, they're like, the world has been saved. That like Ben Aldridge's character is going through like the luggage in the back seat of the car that's of the the four horsemen's belongings and it's like oh it's like one artifact from each of the four of them that he like miraculously pulls out of the bag like one (laughs) after another in a shot and it's like a picture of one of them with their daughter and the medical license of another and the guy with his the (laughs) The soccer team he coaches yeah it's so middle school basketball team it's like there's n- absolutely no subtlety whatsoever. It just yeah. hits you over the head over and over again. Yeah. And if there was any sort of ambiguity in the movie, I think it would make the whole thing more interesting Yeah, and more watchable. But instead, because there's no ambiguity, you're sitting there just knowing like, okay, I'm going to watch these four people die or, or you know, sort of like commit suicide-ish in some sequence or another and then at the end of that i'm going to have to watch one of these gay men murder the other one um and and yeah it's it's just like it's not fun it's not interesting um and and also another plot line as someone who has had a concussion before for a very (laughs) long time, which we've addressed on the podcast, Jonathan Groff gets a concussion early on in the movie. And so there's also um, this tension that is there slightly of like whether or not Jonathan Groff is like going along with the killers because he has a concussion and can't think straight. And so Ben Aldridge is like, maybe like I should be doing all of the thinking here because I'm the only person in this room who like might not be a QAnon member or concussed. Um, And, and having had a concussion, I like for again, like a year and a half, I know how much that impacts your thinking and your like thought patterns on stuff. And I feel like that was not like, like at a certain point they kind of just like brush that aside of like, Oh yeah, they, I think he's fine. Like now, now he's good. But I was like, no, actually everything he's thinking is like suspect and we should not be really relying on his, like him saying he wants to die is not uh, <laughs> like not valid here. Yeah. Like, like we should not be accepting that at face value. No, but and he had we a should vision, Matt. Continuing he had a vision on. that, after watching God willingly smite millions, she went on, Wynne went on to become the veterinarian she always wanted. And they were able to carry on in a very normal manner, um, healing from this deeply depressing and horrifying experience to carry on in this capitalist society in a, in a well-functioning way. Um, also the end where yeah. the, it's like we've been through this miserable slog of a movie, but at some point earlier on in the movie, because we get we we get like a number of flashbacks, which again I feel like were 
underdrawn of the relationship yeah. between the two dads and they're, you know, like deciding to adopt. We get a scene of like them and one of their family members who doesn't seem very accepting. Like just not like like these random blips, but not enough to really give the characters like that much depth, I think. Um, you know, like truly the eight minute long uh, introduction to Up gave us more of a relationship <laughs> than this movie did. But in one of the scenes, they're like driving to the cottage, I think. The cabin. Yeah, yes. the cabin. And they're playing this like disco song and they're all singing Boogie along. Shoes. Yes, Boogie Shoes. And then at the end of the movie, when they when the one husband is dead and, you know, the apocalypse has killed a billion people and the planes are falling from the sky and whatever, they get in the car at the end and Boogie Shoes comes on. Yeah. And it's, like, just so, like, <laughs> does not fit the mood. And they kind of, like, turn it on and turn it off a couple of times and then, like, sort of leave it on as, like, a yes, yeah. we're going to, like, remember Jonathan Groff yeah. and his sacrifice. But I was like, this just totally does not make sense. Like, you can have this song that reminds you of your dad, but it's so chipper. Yeah. Like, it doesn't fit. They should have picked a different song if that's what they wanted to do, or, like, or had it be, like, cut to 10 years later and they hear the song in a (laughs) diner and they think about it. Like, they shouldn't have, like, in the immediate aftermath of the death, no one is listening to Boogie Shoes. Yeah, it should have been, like, she and her dad should have been, like, hunting for grasshoppers, and then she saw a grasshopper. Like, it was a weirdly discordant like sound but I also think it's interesting because the movie while watching it reminded me of like The Mist which I don't know if you ever saw it oh no I didn't see that okay well I won't spoil it but basically it ends in this really depressing way where no one would feel good about walking away from the scene they left and that's just how it ends and it's like so disturbing soul destroying to witness this to not really have any like yes you have closure because you know how it ends but it's like man I don't think you can carry on past that like like that's the thing when I watch some movies like this where it's like would reality like how do you carry on after this like this isn't just like oh your dad died in a car accident and like oh you're looking for signs of him anywhere like you guys just witnessed like six brutal murders and killed your husband and realized there was a god or a power that was ready to just destroy you in the worst ways imaginable at the you know whims of whatever it is and that is dependent on some sort of secret society of people who don't even know they're going to be a part of this until they start having visions that destroy their lives and it's just like i don't think i would ever be a functioning person in society after that I think I would just collapse onto myself and either become a ultra religious psycho, like marching the streets, warning people of the doom, or I would just crawl into a hole and die. But I definitely don't think my future would hold nice car rides, listening to boogie shoes and thinking, huh, (laughs) at least we have the memories, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I was also thinking after watching the movie, like, Because I was like, okay, if I come into this podcast and say this was so depressing and miserable and I hated every second of it and everybody died and blah, 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 then somebody is going to say, well, but don't you like horror movies? Like, isn't that the point of every horror movie that everybody gets killed and they get killed in weird ways? And it's like, yes. But I think that the 
the important difference of the horror genre, and this doesn't all this doesn't cover all horror movies, but in general, the way that horror movies work is that there's like a villain who is doing all of mm. these horrible things and then there is somebody who comes and defeats the villain and so you're watching like um so there is like a there is a certain level of like fun creativity in how these kills are executed and there is sort of a weird um like because I'm watching this and it's so bad like it can't possibly be as bad in real life so there's there's some sort of like weird um thing there as well when you're watching a horror movie but i think ultimately you're watching this this person who's like an underdog who doesn't have power somehow or another manage to take back power and vanquish the evil killer and come out victorious and so if there's kills along the way that are making you feel stressed at the end those are all sort of um there's like a catharticness to the fact that the person who's doing all of the killing gets murdered and and like good triumphs over evil at the end but in this movie it never really feels like good triumphs over evil because the evil is the god who's doing (laughs) this apocalypse and he's sort of like placated for a time but you know at some point in the future that this is going to happen again and that another family is going to have to make this choice for again no arbitrary reason and the god is never portrayed as evil in the movie um it's just like it's not fun to watch and also none of the kills are like creative at all it's like not fun to watch anybody die and then it's also there's no catharsis at the end either well Um, what about like hereditary yeah like i guess that's true that hereditary like and there are horror movies that don't have like good endings but i feel like hereditary is almost like um if you people are like so stupid to invite the devil into your life, you sort of deserve <laughs> what's coming to you. You know, it's about mental illness. It's about wasn't it like she was inevitably gonna? It was like it was basically in the family genes. I mean, I guess so, but it's like there is a cult that has the devil who like trick Tony Collette basically to oh, invite the devil into their house, right, right, right. and then yeah. she gets what's coming to her. I, I think that is again and again. There's they're not portraying the cult as good people. Yeah, like yes, the bad guy wins yeah. that movie, but it's like the bad like you know that the bad guy's yeah. the bad guy, and you kind of get like okay, the good people didn't do a good enough job, and that's what. <laughs> happened here well i think one there's i i said that in jest because i obviously think hereditary is a better movie one because it's a more well-made movie but two because Mm -hmm. it does understand what it's saying which is yeah evil begets evil and like there's this darkness that can't be escaped always and i think you see that in a lot of highbrow horror that we've gotten in past years where if you don't have the underdog beats the evil whatever and you do have sort of this miserable ending like the like the witch or hereditary or uh, i don't know um i'm sure I just well the witch ones, is sort but... of a good ending <laughs> yeah because yeah, the puritans all angle. die and she but gets to live in the woods in a satanic cabal yeah um but i guess what i mean is i don't always love like 
demon movies where it's yes. like the demon wins. But I do think they're usually more artistically and interestingly explored. Like, whereas this is just very much, it reads like a Christian B-budget film where it's like, oh, God works in mysterious ways and sometimes we have to make sacrifices for the greater good. And isn't it just like powerful to witness? Like, it's sad, but hey, it's like what has to happen. And it's never like it. I just don't understand why he made the choice to make it like a literal apocalypse is happening. And even the author who didn't, he knew it would be different than his book, but he didn't know how. And he went and saw it and then was asked about it. He said like, oh, I wish he had left. How did he say it? He said, I would, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I miss the ambiguity of the novel, but I get that's a tougher ask for a film. And he said, um, I think this film's end is way darker than mine based on my own personal set of beliefs. But I I doubt that will be the majority opinion, though, for those who read the book. So he's saying, like, I thought this was darker than having the girl die and the men march off with a middle finger to the idea of God and religion. Uh, but Shyamalan's is just so much more, like, I don't know, like, almost less interesting and then less worthy of its own misery in some ways because it's just, like, Okay, like I don't know. It, he he framed it as like, oh, you have to give a choice in a Sophie's Choice style film. You can't just have them not make the choice. And it's like, well, I think you're you're missing what everyone else is taking away, which isn't that it boils down to this choice. It's the fact that this movie just sits in its ninety minute runtime, thinking like, huh, I hope these guys, these gays, figure it out so the rest of us can live on. Like it's like, I don't think he thought people would walk away thinking anything other than, oh my gosh, how sad would it be to have to murder your own husband? Like, But in reality, you know that's inevitable. So you spend the rest of the movie thinking like, wow, what is this movie saying about gay politics? Or what is this movie trying to say about religion? Or why are these guys so <laughs> freaking weird in the way that they kill themselves? And how else are we supposed to take this movie except save the children, kill the gays? Like, it's just like weird. And I was also thinking, so Ben Aldridge, who was in this, who's very attractive, yes, um, is all was also in Spoiler Alert, which came out, um, like in December, I think, which was the gay like cancer romance movie. So he's now been in two ill-fated couples, where he was the one who had cancer in that movie, and uh, and then he of course killed his husband in this one, um. And I was thinking about the two because I really did like Spoiler Alert, even though I thought that I wasn't going to. And that's based on a true story about, you know, this journalist who whose husband had cancer and sort of, you know, what happened of that. And I thought the nice thing about Spoiler Alert is like there is so much fun and levity and and like in a, a beautiful relationship before it gets to the cancer section. Yeah. But then also I think, you know, cancer is for as sad as it is, is something that exists in yeah. real life. Lots of people go through with it and you do sort of have to figure out how you are going to face the death of a loved one because everybody dies eventually in some way, shape or form. So it's this like universal thing that's sort of more interesting and has more options where yeah. this felt like, nobody ever really had a choice to do anything in the Mm -hmm. movie. They were sort of like forced to do it. Um, 
You know, it's like the couple had to kill somebody. They weren't going to kill the daughter. Like, which of the two were they going to kill? And you always sort of knew that it was going to be Jonathan Groff because he was like the more uptight one. Um, and they needed Ben Aldridge's character to be around. The other thing that I was just thinking as you were talking is like, so growing up in a very, very Christian setting and you, you know, grew yeah. up in a similar one. I feel like there's often this mindset about LGBT people of mm. like, we, like God has given us this word that they are bad, that they are sinful and sort of it is, and we don't get to decide that, like that's been determined. We can't, you know, question that. And therefore like it is on us as Christians or Mormons to sort of like, if we have to make a sacrifice and not be close with our, you know, with gay people and have bad relationships with them, like that is what is being asked of us by God. Like we are fulfilling our duty in doing that. And I think this movie presents a very similar uh, uh, like set of moral quandaries of like, sometimes God for no real reason that defies all expectations and logic asks you to be horrible to somebody and you just sort of have to do it because otherwise like God's going to be mad, but we don't know why. And it sort of goes against all logic of God presented in other places in the Bible. But you know, (laughs) in this case scenario, we just have to be shitty. And I think that that again is here where it's like, yeah, a universe that's worth living in is not one where a God like, you know, decides he's going to maybe kill everybody every like a couple yeah. hundred years. And yeah, to not question that, like the book does, is, yeah. I don't know, I feel like it's very irresponsible. And I think that's maybe another reason why conservative people <laughs> are feeling more kinship with this movie, because yeah. it's like a set of values that they can relate to of like, uh, well... God is telling us to do the hard thing, and so therefore we have to do it. Yeah, it's like hate the sin, love the sinner. Like, oh, God just – you're just so pure. Like, your love for each other is so pure. Like, that's a line in this movie. But it's like we've got to – this is just what we got to do. You know, like, I don't – oh, I wish I didn't have to, you know, like, threaten your family and make you kill one another. But like, oh, like, that's just what's going on. And like, it's weird to watch them – because the the four attackers are meant to sort of represent like different they, they all like try to justify how they're not crazy and like why they're there and obviously you do have the homophobic Rupert Grint's character at the beginning but then Leonard who's played by Dave Bautista who I didn't mind in this movie I think he's good in it um he brings something that's like <laughs> watchable all so unsettling yeah he's yeah and it's like he you want to believe him to be this like empathetic guy, but it's also like, what are you saying here? Like, you're not going to make us feel better about the choice you're giving them. So it's like weird the way that they try to like baby these guys and be like, oh, we wish it was different. But like some, you know, God gives his greatest challenges to his greatest warriors. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just frustrating to watch and to feel like M. Night Shyamalan could have ever could have never intended for this sort of Christian nationalist reading of it because it feels so like obvious even in the moment where you're like, 
Because like when the movie trailer came out, I remember people being like, people being like, "Yes, gay representation in a horror film. Like it's just a couple who happens to be gay." <laughs> but then you watch the movie and you're like, "Oh no! Like their their gayness is central to the plot, and is not not handled very well unless you're reading it as like." Hey, you guys tried to assimilate. You tried to do everything right. You know, you've tried to like survive this world that's like so hard for you. But maybe you guys should give up more to save the rest of us. And it's just like there's an ickiness walking away from it where you're like, I don't, I didn't like how, I didn't like how Jonathan Groff's character gave this monologue at the end. I didn't like how the murder, the killing wasn't even shown. It was just a gunshot off screen. Like it was just some dog they took to the back. Like it was just like, it was weirdly dehumanizing in its choices, even as it tried to like humanize this couple that felt like they had to spend an hour of this movie justifying their relationship out loud. Yeah. Yes, I 100% agree. Well, I mean, and all of the characters were sort of like thinly drawn because yeah. the daughter also is like so precocious and smart, <laughs> like more than normal and is like feels like very much not a real human being. She has some sort of like scar on her lip that you would have to assume like based on kind of context clues is like a cleft palate sort of thing because you know it is a lot easier to adopt kids from um con- from abroad who have that and there's like a moment where Dave Batista's character asks her about it and she says something you know like oh she had surgery or was like like she makes it seem like it was a big deal but the scar she has is like the slightest most daintily drawn <laughs> thing you've ever seen where you're like this isn't what that looks like either like the whole thing just feels a little uh too like cute well they showed her like getting the baby and she had a cleft lip and so then you do surgeries to like fix it if you have the right but it's like i but i've known like lots of people like i've seen lots of people who have cleft palates and that's not Mm. like like she obviously did not have one and they drew one on her and it was not like a like they did yeah. not get an actress who had you know I'm just well, like the whole the, like, thing was just crazy yeah. like the white girl who's like I'm I'm a chef I just love cooking for people I was yes. like what is her vibe I don't know like I think she was meant to be the like comedic well, she relief was like almost. sustenance or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> she would just say things like I, we don't have a homophobic bone in our bodies and it was just like I wasn't sure if it was meant to like laugh at or she was meant to be like endearing there's also this whole like b plot where they attempt an escape and they finally get leonard like alone locked in the bathroom (laughs) in a bathroom with the smallest round window you can imagine and 10 seconds later the window breaks and they're like oh my gosh did he escape and i was like no of course he didn't look at how thick that man is he is not squeezing through that window and even if he did you could run outside and you'd be able to see him because again he'd be halfway and there'd stuck be through noise that of him trying to get through the window <laughs> yeah. and so it, then they get like in a he obviously is hiding in the bathroom and is able to overpower him blah 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 but it's just like little moments like that and then the disasters themselves the tsunami scene oh how did the they get that footage terrible <laughs> terrible it was the worst <laughs> 
like the the wave looked like it was made for like a Pokemon uh <laughs> Game Boy graphic that they had just like interposed. Yeah. It was so and all bad. the newscasters were like very bad. Like yes. very bad. It was well, just like breaking. And news to go and- back to the and to go back to the stupid trailer for the movie, like yeah. there's this, there's a whole sequence in the movie where they're where they're like, okay, we're gonna send the daughter to escape, yes. and the daughter's <laughs> gonna get rescued, and 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 like in your mind, you're thinking like, oh, this is like room, you know, where they Jacob Tremblay gets rolled up in the rug and sent out or whatever, you know, like maybe that's what's happening. Yeah. But in the trailer for the movie. You see them send her away and you see her get caught and brought back into the house. So it's like, again, that whole like 20 minute sequence where they're, oh, maybe we can get her to go away and we can distract them and she can run and blah, blah. (laughs) It's like, well, this, I know this isn't going to work. No, the most tense part of the movie, I think, was the opening scene. And I think that was like the best part um, where Leonard approaches when in the forest and you're just like, this is going to be bad. Stop talking to him. Please stop talking to him. And I thought that but was it, good and it gave me hope. But then, yeah, instantly. But it, it just wasn't was tense insane. because I knew what was well, going to yeah. happen. Like, well, yeah, of had, course. Like, had I, had they just done the opening, like the teaser trailer or whatever that they used, or they had just filmed, like the trailer was just, like part of that opening scene and then watching them walk in with the weapons or something yeah. like that would have been such a great way to market the movie because it's like you have no idea what these people are doing this could be going in a million different directions but because i, I knew what was think, happening i honestly think m night shaman is still reeling from the backlash around the village which did something similar where it's like this is going to be the scariest movie of your lives but then it was sort of a quieter thoughtful like oh what is faith like sort of story and but the that village was is huge... actually a good movie, I think. Well, but at the time, ways. no one yeah. liked it because there was this like, what was that trailer about? You tricked us. Like, where is this? Blah, blah, blah. And I honestly think that that's like colored his film since because he overshares in the trailers because yeah. he's like, please, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> well, also, the village trailer twist is like, it's so wild that it's like laughable kind yeah. of it, i mean like i think it's a fun twist but it is yeah. like ridiculous um but i feel like this if they had just if he had just stuck with the premise of the book here yeah. i think that he would and left on that amb- ambu- ambiguous ending or even gone the other way and had it turn out that all of these people were fake the entire time yeah. the movie would have been infinitely better than the way that it worked yeah i think that ambiguity would have been crucial like the the terror of having to live with yourself after killing your partner and not being sure if it was like for real or not that's way more terrifying than like oh some god like is gonna come out here and like kill us all. Like, did you ever see the cabin in the woods that like sort of meta horror comedy? Oh yeah, uh-huh. And that's like what that ending reminded me where it's like, man, we have this like beast we have to sacrifice souls to, and if we don't get it wrong, we're all gonna die. And that had a more interesting, like, is it worth it? Is this like is this what we should be doing if this is the world we have to do? Like, do we wanna be killing innocent people for this and like be dead inside over it? Like blah, 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 blah. I think that had a more interesting premise, conversation, and ending than this, where it's just like, oh, God well, works in like, mysterious ways. Even like in the Inception's ending, which I mean, obviously is like a masterclass, but like the way that 
it's asking like, well, is it better to live in a dream world if you're happy than yeah. to live in the real world where you're not? And it leaves you on this, like, you don't know if yeah. what the choice was. Uh, yeah, the this this movie, all subtlety was stripped out of it. <laughs> yeah. And we were just left with this, again, like, miserable march to an end that we knew was coming. And then it just becomes an exercise in watching people die. But not Which even not watching enjoyable. them die because it's all off screen. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, I guess. But watching them get, you know, yeah. murdered in various ways. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was confused about was like, obviously, like the Rupert Grint role, uh, like that person dies quickly. So they weren't going to be in it very long. And like, it is fun to do some stunt casting, you know, like in Scream or something when you know somebody isn't going to be around for very long in a horror movie. Um, But at the same time, I was like, this is such a weird, like, choice for him. There were also a lot of shots where it seemed like he wasn't in the room with them. Did you notice that? Like, there was shots of the whole group and then he was separate in his own little frame. Well, probably, I mean, I bet that he was on set for, like, two days. Yeah. Because the woman, the next woman who dies is in there for a good bit longer than he is. Because they, like, spend the whole night, and it's not until the next day that she goes. So you could see how, yeah, it's like, he came out there and only had to film for, like, a couple of hours. Because he only has a couple of scenes. Um. And, and then, strange. I mean, and honestly, even the stuff with the bag over his head didn't need to be him. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. <sighs> yeah, honestly, it was like it's surprise. It, it's like good for Imani Shyamalan for having the bar so deep into the subterranean earth that any movie that's like passably interesting or not actively like dumb gets good reviews. Because yeah, this has gotten good reviews and did yeah. well in the box office. Yeah, I think it's just like. I, I honestly, it wasn't like the worst M. Night Shyamalan for me personally. I think it's like I can see why this is considered top tier because his top tier is so, <laughs> so desperately mediocre. Um, but I think people appreciated like maybe the artistry of the shots and having not read the book, probably thought, wow, what an interesting thought, pro- thought exercise. But yeah, the more you sit with it, the more it's just is like, what? Well, I also do feel like you and I are two people who have thought infinitely more about like religion and yes. faith than the vast yes. majority of the population have. Yes. Um, and so I think that these subject matters to us are it's like we understand the nuance nuance yeah. of them more because we grew up in these <laughs> situations where we were studying this. stuff like yeah. hour after hour after hour for years on end yeah. and then had to go through our own situations where we were like unpacking and examining all of that. <laughs> and I think a lot of people who don't have those kind of relationships with like faith or religion or whatever were like, wow, like crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very true. I've I've spent many a Sunday having to contemplate what sacrifices I would be willing to do to uh, preserve the faith. And uh, what would you do in this situation? It's honestly, you and Rob I was thinking about and this. Penny. I think I would honestly be like, Rob, just kill me so that you and Penny can like avoid any of this drama. Like, I don't want you to have to live through not the apocalypse, but dealing with watching 
psychotic people kill themselves in front of Penny. I just wouldn't want her to have to see that over and over again. So I'd just be like, ah, yeah, kill me. Like, just kill me and hope they go away. Like, love you. (laughs) Prayers. Thoughts and prayers appreciated. But I don't think I could just, like, power through that. Like, I wouldn't be able to stomach. Because that's the other thing. I don't think you can have a well-adjusted life after witnessing that. So I would just try to... Yeah, I feel like you can't if you're like invested at all. I feel like I would be the opposite route, which would be like these people are deranged, and I and if the world is ending, I honestly don't care. I would rather be with the people who I like anyway. So you guys can, you know, bang each other with your weird sticks, and uh, (laughs) then I'll go, you know, get burnt alive in the tundra or whatever. Like, um, yeah. I think I'd be like, everybody, close your eyes, put in some headphones, let these people kill each (laughs) other, and then we'll be on our merry way. I know, but it's really, if it was just me and Rob, 100%. But I feel like I I would be sad for making Penny witness that. But I guess if I could mitigate her bearing witness in some way <laughs> if i could well, yeah, they should have sent her to the crazy thing is like she's just like lurking around yeah. in the in the movie and i'm like they they, they should have like sent her to the cellar yeah, exactly. or like something because she's to the there <laughs> while uh rupert grant's getting like bludgeoned to death yeah. <laughs> it's a lot uh luckily she was able to get over it and continue in her love of veterinarianism so yes that's right and go out around. to a quaint dinner with a with an yeah. artfully uh <laughs> salt and peppered ben aldridge it's <laughs> like gosh remember that one time i wonder who's had to kill someone since uh, also whatever the horrible wig they had um Jonathan Groffin and all the flashbacks with like the weird bangs. Yeah, Jonathan I was like, Groff it, was not giving much. No, he, well, I don't know that he had much that he could have been giving with. Yeah, because he did have all of the worst dialogue in the yeah. movie. Um, but yeah, he was bad and his wig was bad. And I was trying to figure out like what, like what time period or whatever are they trying to signify with this hair and <laughs> i couldn't for the life of me figure it out and the yeah he was he was not great but let's also remember that he is best friends with leah michelle who, yeah so yeah. that again speaks i think to his yeah. caliber <laughs> as an actor and a person i could see why everybody did this movie with the exception of jonathan groff uh <laughs> like i think this is an like, they obviously needed some massive person to play the Dave, Dave Batista role. It's something that he doesn't normally get to do. So I feel like it's good for him. Everyone else is basically a no-name actor. And then, uh, but I was like, and Rupert Grin is, you know, doing Lord knows what, trying to get his career back on track. But I was like, Jonathan Groff, you are better than this. Like, you are a... <laughs> is he? Well, it's like, he was in Hamilton. Like, he... He yeah, but I don't doing... think he's that good of an actor. No, but you can't tell me that they don't want him on like a Netflix sitcom or a because this was bad. Yeah, I thought the girl was good. I mean, the, for what she the little to girl. Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, she was fine. It was fine. <laughs> and the fake Jenny Slate was like, I guess okay. She but... was cuckoo bird. Okay, I don't know what she was going for, but it was. But again, I think it was the, I think it was the, um, 
the script was so bad. Yeah, no, I like. I can't even imagine getting that and trying to figure out how I was going to turn those horrific phrases into. I wrote it down. She's like, "Our choices make our destiny." I almost got that tattooed. (laughs) Oh yeah, but it's like imagine receiving that line as a line of dialogue and then trying to figure out how you were going to deliver it in any sort of compelling way. (laughs) Because you you read that and you're like, the only person who's saying this is completely mentally unwell. Like you have to deliver it that way. Because no normal people is like, our choices make our destiny. And you know what? I believe that and I almost got that tattooed on myself. It's like, Mm. what? And then did she get that tattooed on her? Was she going to get that tattooed? Before she had the visions of the apocalypse, like yeah, just like as no an idea. everyday thing when she was a line cook in DuPont Circle, yeah. or was she going to do that after she had the weird visions <laughs> and she met up with everybody at the pier someplace the pier. and decided to go murder gay people in the woods? <laughs> and then the also, barge. I love the, I love the plot line where they were like, "What? You're oh. gay? We're shocked." Uh, yeah. Glad Lupe's getting involved as well. I know she has strong feelings, um, but yeah, all in all, I honestly would probably watch old again. So, oh, one hundred percent. I was, I would, I think I would watch any of his movies before I watch this again. <laughs> and I and the, and I have seen every single I've M Night Shyamalan movie, water. and I've seen Lady in the Water, <laughs> and I've seen The Happening. And for as bad as those movies actually are, they are not so miserable you know yeah. like this is just so miserable yeah. the happening is ludicrous but to watch people run around the countryside <sighs> and try to escape pollen is like more interesting i think yeah yeah um <sighs> so that's it we did it we did it we did it we watched this <laughs> piece of garbage um i think next week is our drum roll, please? Uh, 2022 movie rankings. I think because so. Unless usually we do out. them right before the Oscars, but I'm gonna be gone right. um, in Japan for that, so we can't do them then. And there's really nothing coming out this upcoming week, so it makes more sense. And then we can hit Ant Man and the Wasp before yeah. we before I go. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so we'll be back for that big old episode. We won't have a pop culture roundup next week because we'll be taking our sweet old time <laughs> talking about 7,000 movies that we've watched. Um, any final thoughts on Cabin in the Woods, Shelby? It's Knock at the Cabin. Whatever the so. fuck it is. I don't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this movie can rot in hell, and I hope I never have to watch it again. Okay, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.